What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone. Um, I hope everyone has been having a fun and safe Halloween weekend. And I hope yeah. you're having some fun today as well if you're listening on Halloween when this episode comes out. And in honor of Halloween, we are dropping a bonus spooky listener story episode today. It's already out when you're listening to this episode. <laughs> so be sure to go listen to that if you haven't listened yet. Also, before we get into today's case, I do want to mention the update in the Delphi case. You've probably seen and or heard about it. And by the time you're listening to this episode, there may be more information, but this is what we know so far. A man named Richard Allen has been arrested in Carroll County, Indiana, and it is reported by several sources that it is in connection to the Delphi murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German. Now, keep in mind that... At the time we're recording this, nothing has been confirmed by authorities, but there is a news conference tomorrow morning, October 31st at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So that may have already come out by the time you're listening to this episode. But as of right this second, nothing has been officially confirmed by authorities. Right. But it seems like many sources feel confident saying that this is the person who murdered Abby and Libby and... Man, it's I just, just I I really hope and pray to God that this is this is the guy because they've gone way yeah. too long without answers and you know their families need they need to know. They have every right to know what happened to their yeah. their babies and this guy needs to pay. I mean, he needs to pay and Yeah. And he's ugh. just been out there in the world so Again, none of this is confirmed, but from locals and people who have been doing like digging on Facebook and stuff, it seems like Richard Allen lives not far from the bridge where Abby and Libby were murdered. And it's being reported that he works at a local CVS. So he was just out there all this time Mm -hmm. and that he has two daughters. And there's reportedly even a picture of one of his daughters at the bridge. How about the picture of the suspect drawing on his wall, allegedly? Dude, that sent chills down my fucking spine. Yeah, there's one picture. And I did hear somewhere that that's not like in his home. It was like a restaurant, but it was Uh, a picture of him and a woman. And in the background, it's what looks like the suspect drawing in the Delphi murder. Yeah. Again, it's hard to tell. It could be who knows. But if it's real, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's real, because I know that 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 suspect drawing has been up all over Delphi for the last five and a half years. So, you know, it very well could be. So creepy. Um, There are also reports that police searched his home the day he was arrested. But again, we don't know what was found. None of it has been confirmed. And we're just waiting for that news conference. Yes. Now, when the news broke... Kelsey German, who is Libby's sister, tweeted that she is extremely grateful and that her family will say more after the press conference. And she said, today is the day. And that just gives me chills every time I reread that because 
can you imagine what her family and Abby's family have been through for the past five and a half years? No, I would be completely beside myself, sick every single day of my life until that person was caught. Yeah. Yeah, so please, everyone, keep Abby and Libby's families in your thoughts today and over the next few weeks because I'm sure this is going to be an extremely tough time, but hopefully this will finally result in justice for those sweet girls. We will be sharing more timely updates on our Instagram, our Facebook group, and our TikTok, so be sure to check there. We'll definitely update on an episode, and once all of this is out, I'll do a full update episode, but um, you know, we record ahead of time, so by the time you're listening to this episode, there may be more information, so be sure to check out our Instagram and Facebook and TikTok for updates. So with that, we will get into today's case, and we are talking about what has been dubbed the trick-or-treat murder, which took place in Los Angeles, California in 1957. Oh. Mmm, fall. That means it's time to cozy up and save money by cooking at home. Fall is the perfect time to experience the delicious taste and unparalleled convenience of HelloFresh. Have your pumpkin spice and eat it too with a rotating selection of fall-inspired items from the HelloFresh market. From brunch kits to a fall dessert board, which sounds so good, Mm -hmm. you'll find everything you need for all your favorite fall gatherings like tailgating, Friendsgiving, and more. HelloFresh works amazing with your ever-changing schedule by offering flexible plans, so you can choose your delicious meals for the week update your preferences, or change your delivery day all in the HelloFresh app. Changing seasons means changing taste. And with 30-plus weekly recipes to choose from, HelloFresh has something for everyone. Easily customize your meals by swapping proteins for sides, upgrading to choice proteins, or adding protein to a veggie meal. After we had the twins, we relied heavily on HelloFresh's quick (laughs) and easy meals, and it really saved us so much time when we came home from the hospital. We recently tried the one-pan turkey stir-fry tacos, and Haley, you will remember me texting you talking Mm -hmm. about how delicious they were, and I am literally drooling just thinking about it. Yeah, we both cooked a HelloFresh meal the same night and then came on to record the podcast, (laughs) and we both were talking about how good each of our meals were. Yep. But I've really loved using HelloFresh for the last few weeks. My husband, Robert, and I both work, so by the end of the day, we're both usually way too exhausted to put a meal together, and we end up just spending more money by eating out. But this last week, we tried two HelloFresh meals, and let me tell you, I am obsessed. We made a tilapia pesto and a balsamic chicken, and both meals were so yummy and so easy to prepare. And I'm not going to lie, when I first (laughs) saw what the meals were, I was a little skeptical, but they were both so good that I'm going to order both of them again. And they were so easy to make. All the ingredients needed were right in our weekly box, and the step-by-step instructions were very easy to follow, even for somebody like me, who is not the best cook. (laughs) But it made it so easy because we didn't have to think twice about what we were going to make, if we had all the ingredients to do so, and we had just these amazing, delicious dinners that were so much yummier than our normal weeknight dinners that we just try to throw together. 
It's so convenient to have everything there for us, and it actually made us want to cook and eat dinner at home instead of spending money to eat out. If you want to make your life easier, you can try America's number one meal kit by visiting HelloFresh.com slash Inhuman65 and use code Inhuman65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Inhuman65 and use the code Inhuman65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Yum. Do it. You won't regret it. So we're just going to dive right in. It was around 11 p.m. on the evening of October 31st, 1957, when Peter and Betty Fabiano's doorbell rang. The night had been filled with your typical Halloween festivities, trick-or-treaters coming to their door, they were passing out candy, but they had gone to bed a little while before this doorbell rang. So it rang once, and Peter was like, half asleep so he didn't really wasn't aware of if it actually rang Mm -hmm. but then it rang again and he got up somewhat frustrated and 35 year old peter went downstairs to answer the door peter grabbed the bowl of candy and answered the door saying it's a little late for that isn't it and he was expecting some older kids coming around late to trick-or-treat but instead he was greeted by somebody dressed up in a robin costume like batman and robin And they had a brown paper bag, and they answered him, no. And then they shot Peter in the chest with a gun that was concealed by the brown paper bag. What the hell? Betty Fabiano heard a loud pop and ran downstairs to see what was going on. And when she got down the stairs, she found the front door open and her husband laying in front of it in a pool of blood. Mm. Peter had been shot in the chest, and he was bleeding out. Betty's 15-year-old daughter, Judy, had also awoken to the gunshot, and after seeing what happened, she ran out two doors down to their neighbor's home because he was a police officer, so she went to alert him, and he called the Valley Police Department. Did the person flee? Like, were they not around? The person fled. Okay. Yes. Peter was transported to the Sun Valley Hospital, but he never regained consciousness, and he was pronounced dead. Mm-hmm. So who had committed this horrific, seemingly random Halloween night murder was the question on everyone's mind. At first, it kind of seemed like it was a gang hit, just the way it was like a random shot in the chest and they fled. Mm -hmm. But police found no indication that Peter was involved with any gangs or anything like that. So that theory quickly extinguished. It does seem like he was specifically targeted since his family, you know, was spared. Yeah. It definitely, he definitely was a target. There was one witness, a teenager was across the street and he saw a car speeding out of the neighborhood after hearing what sounded like a gunshot, but he couldn't remember enough specific details to really help the investigation. And other than that, there were no witnesses. Police started looking into Peter's background and he did have one previous arrest for a small charge related to like some gambling issues, it seems like. But that had been resolved, and other than that, he had no issues with the law and hadn't gotten into any major trouble or been connected to anything that they believed could have, you know, led to his murder. Okay. Additionally, nothing was stolen from the house, so robbery was ruled out. And finally, no bullet shells were left at the scene, so physical evidence was limited, like pretty much non-existent. So police had almost nothing to go on. So with that, let's back up a little bit and talk about... The Fabianos. Okay. 
Peter met Betty in the 1940s, and Betty had been previously married, married, and she had two children that were teenagers by 1957. But when she met Peter, she was a single mother, and they were together for a few years, and then in 1955, they got married in New York. The next year, they moved to Los Angeles, where they owned and operated two very successful beauty shops, like hair and beauty shops. Okay. So Peter was a hairstylist working at one of them, and they also have had several employees. It doesn't seem like Betty worked there, but she definitely was kind of somewhat involved in the family business. Yeah. And one of the employees was a woman named Joan Rebel. So Joan, in early 1957, had decided to leave her career as a freelance writer and photographer to go and work as a hairstylist. So she had been kind of like working all over the world, traveling, and she had recently gotten divorced and she kind of wanted like a steady job. So Peter hired Joan and she quickly became close with the entire Fabiano family. And in particular, she really started to get close with Betty. Now, Peter and Betty began having some marital problems later in the year, and Betty actually moved in with Joan while her and Peter were working things out. Because of this, Peter began to feel threatened by how close Joan and Betty were getting, and that's when he learned that they had actually been having an affair. Ooh. Okay. Now, in a Los Angeles Times article after Peter's death, Joan and Betty's relationship was described as, quote, abnormal, <laughs> which in the 1950s yeah. is basically how they said, like, they were gay. Right. <laughs> abnormal. That's funny. I know. I know. Um, but they they were in a relationship or having an affair, and eventually Betty decided that she wanted to go back to Peter and, like, Work things make, out. You know, fix things with him. Yeah. yeah. And she admitted her affair to Peter, and they did reconcile, but Peter's condition was that she would not see Joan again, and Peter wanted Joan completely out of their lives. Like, she didn't want Betty to even mention Joan. I mean, which, that's fair. I, yeah, I get that. Like, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of this, Joan was fired from the salon, mm-hmm. and Peter just wanted rid of her. Right. Nowadays, you probably couldn't just fire someone for that because yeah. of, like, employment laws. Yeah. But back then, unfortunately, I don't think there was much that... No, probably not. ...they could do. Yeah. So after the breakup from Betty, Joan started hanging out with a woman named Goldine Pizer. And Goldine was a medical secret- secretary at uh, L.A. Children's Hospital. And she and Joan had actually been friends for years. And they had, you know been friends and then not spend as much time together but then they would get back together and after this breakup from betty joan started really spending a lot of time with her so they would spend many mornings drinking coffee at a local shop gossiping and they started to get closer and closer and they started both talking about how they had been married to men while suppressing their true selves yeah they had both divorced their husbands and were finally accepting that they liked women So because of these commonalities, they started getting closer. And Joan started telling Goldine about her evil former employer, Peter, and what happened with Betty. So Joan was heartbroken that Betty had gone back to her husband. She was mostly, like, angry at Peter, it seemed. So with this, Joan began seducing Goldine, just as she had seduced Betty. And she began convincing Goldine that Peter was evil and that she needed to kill Peter. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that 
escalated very quickly. Um, yeah. Seems a little unfair, but all right. Yeah. And Joan was a great manipulator because Goldine agreed. Damn. So on September 21st, 1957, Goldine Pizer went to a gun shop in Pasadena and purchased a 38 caliber gun. She told the person behind the counter, I'm getting this for like home protection, personal protection, mm-hmm. and the plan was set. They actually went back a couple of days later to actually pick up the gun and purchase two bullets. On the evening of Halloween 1957, Goldine and Joan drove to the Fabiano's house in a car that Joan had borrowed from a friend. Joan had dressed Goldine up in blue jeans, a khaki jacket, red gloves, and makeup to look like Robin, Batman's crime-fighting partner. Yeah. <laughs> and Goldine... And Joan sat in the car across the street for about two hours until the lights in the Fabiano household went out. Mm. A little after 11 p.m., Goldine approached the home and rang the doorbell. When Peter answered the door, she shot him with the gun concealed in the brown paper bag, ran back to the car, and fled with Joan. Wow. So later, Goldine would tell police that when she returned to the car, Joan kissed her and said thank you before driving off. She said they then went and burned their clothes, returned the car to their friend, and then they were going to start walking home, each in different directions. And Joan told Goldine, quote, forget you ever knew me. So just like, thanks for killing my lover's husband. See you never. Mm-hmm. Yep. Damn. Exactly. That's rough. Goldine had literally murdered someone for Joan, and that was all Joan wanted. She just completely ditched Goldine. And clearly Goldine must have, like, loved her unconditionally to have done that. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell, Joan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so with all that, you know, then police arrive at the Fabiano's house. Peter's taken to the hospital and pronounced dead, and the investigation into his murder began. So at first, Betty was so distraught that she actually had to be sedated for several days, which, like, again, understandable. Your husband was just murdered in your home. Like, how terrifying. And when she was finally able to be interviewed by police, she told them that that night she heard two voices, one that sounded masculine and one that sounded like a man pretending to be a woman. But both of the voices were muffled, and she said she couldn't really hear what was being said. Yeah. And then they asked Betty if Peter had any enemies. And she actually did have an answer for that. She gave them one name, Joan Rebel. So police quickly found Joan and brought her in for questioning, but they basically had no evidence to actually connect her to the murder. She told them that she was home all evening, saying that her car was in the driveway and that her neighbors could verify that. And police did check this out and all of her neighbors confirmed, yeah, her car was home all night. Mm But if you remember, I said that Joan had borrowed a car from a friend. And walked home, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Smart. So she knew what she was doing. She had this all planned. And she basically had more or less of an alibi because she was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, my neighbor said my lights were home. My car was there. I was home all night. Right. My lights were on. Did I say my lights were home? (laughs) You said your lights were home, but I totally knew what you meant. (laughs) Yeah. But with this, Joan was released. They couldn't hold her for anything. Wow. About two weeks after the murder, an anonymous tip came in to the LAPD about a gun being disposed of in a storage locker in a Bullock department store in downtown LA. Now, after the murder, Goldine realized that Joan hadn't 
told her like how to get rid of the gun joan had basically planned everything else and just told her what to do but she hadn't told her how to get rid of the gun so goldine not knowing what else to do rented a storage locker in that department store and stored the gun there after that anonymous tip came in police went looking and they easily found the gun in the storage locker and they were able to quickly confirm that it was the gun used to kill peter they started searching for recent gun purchases in the area, and they found that this 38 caliber gun was registered to 42-year-old Goldine Pizer. Mm-hmm. On November 12, 1957, police arrived at Goldine Pizer's home in Hollywood, California, and they arrested her, and she pretty much, like, crumbled. Yeah. As soon as she was arrested, she confessed to everything. Oh, yeah, I would, too. I would have been, like, going down to the... <laughs> Police department, <laughs> like, she, yeah. she seduced me and made me kill this man. And <laughs> Yeah. So she said that Joan Rebell had coerced her into murdering Peter Fabiano. Mm-hmm. She said that Joan had given her the money to purchase the gun. She also said that Joan had driven her by the Fabiano's home a few weeks before the murder so that she'd recognize who to shoot and, like, know who to shoot. Wow. And she told the entire story of what happened that night, saying, quote, She told me that Mr. Fabiano was a vile, evil man, a man who destroyed everything around him. She told me that he mistreated his wife and that he was dealing narcotics. So I feel like Joan was really, like, spinning this whole story and probably just kept piling things on, like, he was a horrible employer and he does drugs and he, you know, all this stuff. Meanwhile, she's just butthurt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, Goldine said that they had actually been planning the murder for months, saying, quote, all we talked about was Peter Fabiano. So she was just trying to get Peter out of the way and just use this poor woman to do that, basically. Mm -hmm. She was just trying to use Goldine Mm -hmm. to murder Peter, thinking that Betty would go back to her, I guess. Like, that must have been what she was thinking. Oh, yeah. She was definitely thinking that. Yeah. Why else would you do that? Yeah. So after Goldine's confession, police arrested Joan Rebell. Now, both women had to be evaluated by psychiatrists several times because, and get ready for this, the court believed that, quote, homosexuality may have made them unfit to stand trial. <laughs> I was going to say, it was a 50, so between women just being emotional and women being unstable and needing to be sedated yeah. and all this bullshit, it's not surprising. It's not surprising. So I'm gay, so I can't, I'm not fit to stand trial. I mean, I would probably use that, honestly. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean. (laughs) But they they weren't trying to do that. That was literally the court being like, you have to be evaluated. That's ridiculous. Just. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. But they were eventually deemed deemed fit to stand trial. And after evaluating Goldine, one psychiatrist actually wrote, the only thought she had was that she had saved her friend, Joan Rebell, from an evil person. Yeah. I mean, that's So she, she had, like, thought. truly been manipulated. And, like, part of me feels bad for her, but at the same time, she still murders someone. Yeah, so, like, no. you can only feel bad so much. But, um, but, yeah, like, Joan had completely used and manipulated her. Right. Now, at first, both women pled not guilty to the charge of first-degree murder. They were both charged with first-degree murder. Which was actually kind of surprising to me because obviously it was premeditated, but I'm surprised that they could get a charge of first degree murder on Joan because she didn't actually pull the trigger. I'm glad, but 
Yeah. I know. In those situations, it's so tough because you're like, who really deserves that more? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, they're both are getting, you know, charged with that, but it's like, you, you kind of feel a little bit bad for the person who was manipulated yeah. and like, okay, maybe they shouldn't have got as harsh of a charge, but yeah, at the end of the day, they did pull the trigger, so. Exactly. It's hard, but yeah, like you said, at the end of the day, she still did it, so. Yeah. So they both pled not guilty at first but they both ended up changing their pleas as part of a plea deal for the charges to be downgraded to second degree murder okay So on March 11th, 1958, Goldine Pizer pled not guilty by reason of insanity, <laughs> claiming that she was easily influenced. That doesn't make you insane, though. That just makes you vulnerable and naive. <laughs> yeah. And if you know anything about these types of court cases with the insanity plea, it's very difficult to get that. So that didn't work. But she basically was saying she was guilty. And yeah. Joan also pled guilty. Wow. So as I said, like as part of this plea, their charges were downgraded, and they were both convicted of second-degree murder. But this is a huge change in charge, because going from first to second-degree murder, the sentencing and the punishment for that is so much less. Yeah. And this was so clearly, like, premeditated. Yeah. That I cannot believe that they agreed to downgrade the charges. I mean, I get that, like, you want to avoid going to trial if possible, but and they're women. they had a full confession. Yeah. yeah. I feel like yeah, that too. women just get an easier sentence, which is not always fair, but. No. No, it's definitely not. And that's what happened here because both women were sentenced to five years to life. Five years. And that's not always the Five case. Years. That's not always the case. They don't always get an no. easier sentence, but, you know, yeah. sometimes. But five years? Yikes. Five years for murdering someone. And I get that it's second degree, but you still murdered someone. Yeah. <sighs> so both women did spend several years in prison, but we don't know too much about when they were released or what happened to them after. We know that they both were released and lived in Los Angeles. According to the LA Times, in 1971, Goldine Pizer was made an officer of the Miracle Mile chapter of the Professional Women's Club. Okay. So it did seem like she kind of tried to, like, get on with her life, I guess. Yeah. Goldine passed away in 1998 at the age of 83. Wow, she lived a good life. Yeah. Pretty much nothing is known about Joan Rebell. She, like, did not refuse to testify for the grand jury, and she never spoke out after her conviction. Okay. So we pretty much know nothing about her. All we know is that it is believed she was released from prison around the same time as Goldine. Okay. After her husband's murder, Betty Fabiano was devastated. She sold the family's beauty business But by all accounts, after that, she did go on to live a pretty full life. Some sources say that she never remarried, but other sources say that she did remarry like 10 years after the murder. But again, not much information is known about her and like what happened to her afterwards. It is known that she moved to Palm Desert, California, where she lived until 1999 when she passed away. Now, some people 
believe that she had a hand in her husband's death, like saying that it was basically like a love triangle and that she she told Joan to do this so that like Peter would be out of the question. There is no evidence at all to point to that. Like there is just no evidence like there's just no evidence and why even go back to him if that if you just want him gone like you were out you were living with this other woman you were having a relationship like why go back exactly. you know yeah no they it doesn't make sense she never lived with joan she never was with joan afterwards like it there's just no way and honestly the fact that there are reports about that makes me so mad because she's a victim in this yeah. too and saying that she was involved is just trying to be salacious people always victim shame just, no. and victim blame and yeah don't do that yeah no it's not okay (laughs) the biggest criticism that came out about this case is that their sentencing was so lenient which we kind of talked about already but you know while goldine was definitely influenced and coerced by joan she still committed a murder Mm -hmm. and joan was just as guilty yeah and you know we say this all the time like you can feel bad for like the child of a murder like the the child version of a murderer with what they went through in their childhood but plenty of people go through rough childhoods and grow grow up to be normal people Mm -hmm. so just the same here plenty of people are can be influenced and seduced and coerced and not murder someone so as bad as you feel for goldeen for how she was used she still made the decision and the choice to pull that trigger so and she was you know um looked at by a psychiatrist evaluated by a psychiatrist so you know if she had like some kind of mental ailment or she had you know delays in learning or whatever maybe she couldn't make rational decisions then yeah you would definitely like feel more sorry for her but by all accounts she was a quote-unquote normal adult Mm -hmm. woman who could make rational decisions and she didn't make the best one in this case but exactly nonetheless she made it yeah so it really it's frustrating because for them to get such short sentences and to be released and go on to live like long lives is just so it feels so unfair because peter's life was cut short he no second didn't deserve it Yeah. yeah he you know he had a thriving business he had a family he did nothing wrong and for this person to just be selfish mm-hmm. and ruin multiple people's lives right. by convincing someone else to do this, by murdering someone and then like hurting Betty in the process. It just, it's so unfair that they didn't have to pay more. Yeah. And she probably thought she was going to get away with it because her plan, I mean, it was a good plan, essentially, aside yeah. from the fact that they didn't know what to do with the gun. That kind of set off the whole investigation, but... I mean, she probably really thought she was going to get away with it. She probably did. She probably thought that Goldine was, like, so obsessed with her that she would never confess. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that may have worked, except for the fact that she literally ditched her. Yeah. So I'm sure by the time Goldine was arrested, she was like, screw her. Not I'm not saving her. her. No. Yeah. So, no, it's it's scary how good of a plan it was for them to just get five years and then, like, right. that's it. Yeah. You know? So, so yeah, that's, like, the biggest criticism in this case, and it's talked about a lot, but that is all we know about the murder of Peter Fabiano. 
it's it just breaks my heart because poor Betty just like lost everyone yeah. after, you know, like, yes, she had an affair and then she but she reconciled her marriage like they were getting back together. They were figuring things out. And this person just came in and selfishly destroyed that. Yeah. But that is what has been dubbed the trick or treat murder. Um don't answer the door after you've already like shut off your lights. I know. Because I think it's pretty well known that like once you shut off your lights, don't go trick or treat at that house. Yeah. So just don't answer the door once you do that. Put outside, put a bowl of candy outside if you're trying to get rid of it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's going to be me because I definitely bought way too much candy <laughs> and I don't want any of it in my house after Halloween. Do y'all get a lot of trick or treaters? Yeah, we do. We get, we get a good amount. Our neighborhood. I mean, we've only been here since 2020, so obviously the first year was, like, very minimal, yeah. and then last year was more, but I'm excited. I think this year is going to be popping, so I'm excited. That's fun. Do you guys get trick-or-treaters? We don't hand out candy just because we are out doing things on... Oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. So sometimes I do get a bowl, but literally one year, was it, it wasn't in the house I live in now. It was the house we lived in two times before, or two mm-hmm. houses before this one, Um I put the bowl of candy out. We left, but then we came right back because we forgot something and the whole bowl was gone. Oh, my God. Like someone just dumped it in <laughs> their bag. Terrible. I was like, what the hell? That's terrible. I, know. I never understand how people can do that. No. Yeah, I'll I'll probably put out a bowl after we're done. Yeah. Like once we go inside and just be like, all right, if anyone else comes by, like, yeah. You can have it. But I think our neighborhood is more like younger kids. So I doubt that there will be too many trick-or-treaters like in the evening. But but yeah, let us know if you guys pass out candy on Instagram. We'd love to hear what your guys' plans are for Halloween. Um, And we will see you guys on Thursday with a new episode. I'm going to be full on in the Christmas spirit. (laughs) I don't know about you guys. but Listen, my mom already has her tree up, so... Hey, I'm kind of here for it. (laughs) But thank you guys so much for listening. As always, we love you. Happy Halloween. And until next time, keep it human. Bye.